CJ here, and this is The Sound of Black and Brown. It's a lot that happened so far for this week. There's a lot that has been happening. I hope wherever you are, whoever you're amongst, it's positive, empowering, and positive. Because we all could use it. I don't know if you knew this, but we're all grappling with the aftermath and continue impact of COVID because people are still getting sick. Unfortunately, we do not have the community or workplace where people have paid time off enough to cover themselves. I mean, the economy is just a mess, to be quite frank. There's so many things happening at once. And, you know, for the black and brown community, unfortunately, this is nothing new. Having to struggle Bill to bill, paycheck to paycheck, gun violence situation to gun violence situation. This is nothing new. You know, in all of this, I could only think we need to realize that our history is not their weapon. Why do I say that? So a couple weeks ago, there was the public hearing for HB 6667. Um, You know, and this was an act pertaining to gun violence. And really, it was about gun control. Now, we could go back and forth on the name of it. On Even before I get further, let me just say this. Um, on this program here, I will say things that will be very heavy. Bear in mind, I'm talking from my experience as a black, broke immigrant. I may say things that you might find to be harsh, whereas I will find it to my, be my reality. So... If you're not into that, I'm going to suggest you tune out right now because I might rub your elbows a little hard. But if you're willing to hear me out, you might learn some things and you might realize why we're angry. And you should let us be angry. And you should let us have a place where we could fix what we've had to deal with for too damn long. Because enough is enough. That's just my opinion. I'm just letting you know. So I want to bring your attention. So I started off talking about this bill, right? And it had me thinking because that recent incident in Nashville, I mean, America, Connecticut, wherever you're at, I'm confused. Who else needs to be lost to this for us to realize there is a gun control problem in this country? The United States on its own has the biggest population of gun ownership. We have the biggest track record for these these horrible mass shootings. Yes, there's violence and war happening in other countries, but for lack of a better way of putting it, it's not the way that it is here. Somebody just walked into a school and killed children. I should not have to persuade anybody to put value on a child over a gun. I should not have to sit here and really have to swallow the fact that a gun has more rights and privilege than me. If you have not, please, I am suggesting that you find on the cga.ct.gov website the public hearing for HB 6667, and actually anything judiciary right now. In fact, I'll even go further and tell you, just start picking a committee 
and start listening to this stuff. But let's start with HB 6667. The fact that the turnout for that public hearing was mostly white. And to add to that, for all intents and purposes from what was presented, the majority were Republican. Why the hell are we as black and brown people not seeing what's going on there? Did you not know or did you forget or maybe you didn't think it was a big deal that while the rest of the world were all coping with COVID, right? Everybody trying to figure out if they had enough toilet paper, if they had enough of this, if they had enough food. You know, we're seeing groceries, frozen food is selling out. All of those things are happening. There's a toilet paper shortage, right? People starting to rip up their own clothes to use for the bathroom. We're saving water. We're doing all these things. But gun sales go through the roof. And guess who were the ones purchasing the most guns? All right? Now, if you don't see a problem with that, we're two different people. I see a big issue because in that particular public hearing, you were able to put a face to that statement that I just made. And when you see the faces, it's... it's. <laughs> You know, we we act like white supremacy doesn't exist sometimes. And, you know, because we do the white things at the white times and we have the white celebrations and the white panels and all this other foolishness, we somehow minimize or get distracted from the fact that white supremacy is in full effect right now. You've seen it even in community groups right? We're getting shoved out of our own damn spaces and places. You don't see us on the front line like we should be. You don't see us getting the respect, encouragement, and support as we should be to speak and represent our causes, right? Because there's no accountability here. Let me tell you that. People could get funding and run programs, and as long as they check off the box and they say, yes, we have people of color here, it's a good to go. There's no type of accountability saying, well, how, what's the tenure? If we're really vested in diversity, equity, and inclusivity in workplaces, if people are receiving government funding, they should also be required, if you're going to report the race and ethnicity, report the tenure. And I bet you when you see those numbers, we'll have a lot of questions, wouldn't we? Because then we'll look at the tenure and then we'll look at the job titles and then we'll look at, but you see, when we start reporting things that way, now we're really trying to address the issue. But in this country, why would we do that when we could have public hearings like HB 6667 and create a diversion away from the real problem? Now, now I'm not saying that the bill or the public hearing wasn't necessary. I didn't say that. I'm saying, let's pay attention. Our history is not their weapon. If you go and you watch that public hearing, you will hear Republican after white Republican after white Republican talking about how their rights are being violated, how they need to have guns and how I live in Trumbull. So I have a bulletproof vest and I have a gun collection in my basement because I need to make sure my family safe. Let me ask you all something. Who the hell coming for you? that you need to have all of that. Big COVID going on and white people went and they bought all these guns and all this military protection. Somebody help me figure out 
Who's really the violent ones in this country? Because I'm confused now. I'm lost in the source. All right. Did you ever notice that even when like in movies and videos and so most white videos, white produced, it has to have violence in there. Video games, all of it. They live on violence. They thrive on it. Why? Because white violence is as old as slavery. It just, you see, you all need to realize the slavery, the racism, all that never, the oppression, the white supremacy, it never ended. It never ended. It just got, it changed with the times, but we didn't. We just let it go on. And we have forgotten our history. Let's be honest about that. And some of us, because of how we were raised or otherwise introduced or where we grew up or however our environment was, you know, from the school system to your house, our history was not being told. You got to remember something. I, myself, grew up in a well-blended black and brown community. And in our history books, we say that Columbus rediscovered Trinidad and Tobago because we acknowledge our first people who were indigenous, who were also killed, tortured, and all other things by white supremacy and white supremacists, okay? The only reason why Trinidad and Tobago was never considered a full Latinx country, because the option was there, is because the country refused to put Spanish as its first language. That's what happened. Check, check me out if you think I'm just saying it. Fact check me. But that was done because we wanted our independence. And when you go back to the history, um, you will see it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't done out of being malicious or anything. It's because we said as a country, we want to respect our indigenous people. So our first language would be what theirs is. And it wasn't Spanish. Doesn't mean that we don't share certain commonalities in terms of the diaspora, but know your history before you make a judgment and don't forget it. And we need to stop letting these people use it as a weapon against us. Why do I say that? Because they know that there's this problem that they created. And you better believe they will defend themselves. Like I said, check it out. Go up to cga.ct.gov. Go look at that public hearing. And if you have the tolerance, patience, and all other things, <laughs> and you could stick it out for more than an hour, I'm telling you, I would suggest, if you're black and brown and listening to me, if you decide to do this, please don't do it. I could only suggest things, right? Please don't watch it at a time where you plan to spend time with family, friends, or do something positive. Give yourself time to unpack what you're about to see and hear. Because I was horrified, personally. I wasn't scared. I was just, like, disgusted, really. Because here we go again. The white man will thwart something to suit their needs. The bill was never about your right to own. That is a federal-level affair. Know the law. There are certain components of legislation that cannot be addressed at the state level. Okay? They have to go up federally. You have the right to... We all do. All of us. The degree to which who owns what is really what that bill is about. Why the hell do you need an AK-47 in your damn basement? Who coming for you? Please let me know because then maybe I need to do something myself. Like, why are you all okay with them defending themselves like that? And for that matter, why aren't you defending yourself? Now, when I say that, 
I'm not saying go out and buy a bunch of guns. No, 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 no. Personally, I'm not a gun lover. I, I have a whole history with that. That's a story for another time, right? It's a personal one. Um, and I'm not going to stray from that because I think we really need to not use the white man's way to resolve. And part of their way of resolving is gun violence. Whether you see that way, we'll just have to agree to disagree. But I think that us being intellectual and at some degree, we do have comrades, white comrades who are willing to not use those means to address and resolve problems they created, really. And they're willing to listen and they're willing to empower. And that's the people, those are the people I love to work with. Let me tell you something truthfully, just to digress real quick. I do have actually quite a few comrades who are white. But again, as Malcolm X pointed out, you got to know, you got to know the place, the difference between the two. And in his speeches, he speaks about the white liberal. And he tells us, be careful because they will control your movement. And what that will essentially do is push us out. And there we go. We have been displaced once again. Just because our displacement didn't come with a big boat and a bunch of sailors who lied and say that they will help us doesn't mean it's not the same. It is the same, except the boat is our oppression now. See, these people are ridiculous. Now, as Malcolm would go on to say, there are white people who know their place and who realize that they have caused this what we are now trying to go against. So what they will do is realize and respect and support us as we amplify ourselves and our voices and our diaspora. Now, what happened at that public hearing for HB 6667, we did have a few well-to-do black and brown people who spoke about why they should have a gun, not realizing the bill wasn't about your right to own a gun, you know. That had nothing to do with it. But you all fell for the white man lie. I hate to be the one to break it to you. I really do. And you see, what will happen is, and what has happened, and what does happen is, when there's situations like what the unfortunate circumstance that recently happened in Nashville, and others like it, when folks think about it, and they contemplate, you know, what just happened, and they deal, they absorb all of it, they don't think about that 80% of white Republicans who testified against that bill. They think about the few of us who testified against it because it's a natural inclination to find black and brown get people guilty by default. A nail could drop out of the sky. A black or brown person did that. That's just what it is. Let's, let's stop beating around the damn bush, right? And we see this play out, the biases, and the subjective behavior in different scenarios, but it's all the same damn thing. I don't see why it's such a big problem to realize we have a real gun control problem, right? Now, what also happens is the black and brown communities take the blame for the gun violence. Um, here's the thing, right? In the hood, when there's beef, and I'm not saying that I condone it or otherwise, so please don't misquote or misread me. I'm just sharing experience and info. Again, I'm a black, broke immigrant, shamelessly so. And I cannot say that I've led a life of privilege. Far from that. 
And I'm not going to sit here and get mad at my brothers and sisters who share the same circumstance or critique them because some of their life choices, really and truly, when you know and look at what they've had to deal with, what options did they have? What did they have? It's bad enough that they don't get represented well or enough, but what did they have? I say that in regards to the fact that, yes, there's gun violence, escalating gun violence in our communities, but there's also, you know, reasons behind that. And I'm not saying that that gun violence is better, and I'm not saying that it's worse. It's still gun violence. But what I want to point out is the chances of a black or brown person picking up an AK-47, some type of machine gun, right? So don't come for me if I don't know the different types either because that's how much I don't like them. So mind your business. You don't like it, turn off the, rate, the, the whatever you're listening to. Don't listen to me no more. I talk how I talk, and, I, and that's, that's what it's going to be, right? Sorry, not sorry. But anywho's, you don't see us picking up those guns and doing stuff like that, Right? So let's just come to that impasse and realize we need to really address white supremacy and we must not forget our history. I want to read some stuff here to you now. Give me a few minutes of your time to share this with you. The first thing that I want you to put up for consideration comes from someone who I highly regard. I reference him a lot, you know, to this day because he will always stay highly favored in my book, and that is Malcolm X. And one of his speeches that was, I mean, all of his speeches are profound, in my opinion, and many others, was the ballot or the bullet. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a certain part of it. But I invite you, this was in 1964, he gave this speech. I invite you to go listen to it or read it and take it in. And after you've done that, I want you to think about contemporary society and ask yourself, what really changed? So here we go. Now, pardon if I have any, you know, fumbles, right? So I'm going to try my best to read this to you. Here we go. So this is from The Ballad or the Bullet, 1964, Malcolm X. It was the black man's vote that put the present administration in Washington, D.C. Your vote, your dumb vote, your ignorant vote, your wasted vote. Put in an administration DC in, in Washington, D.C., that has seen fit to pass every kind of legislation imaginable, saving you until last, then filibustering on top of that. And your and my leaders have the audacity to run around clapping their hands and talk about how much progress we're making and what good president we have. If he wasn't good in Texas, he sure can't be good in Washington, D.C. Because Texas is a lynch state. It is the same breath as Mississippi, no different. Only they lynch you in Texas with a Texas accent. And they lynch you in Mississippi with a Mississippi accent. And these Negro leaders have the audacity to go and have some coffee in the White House with a Texan, a Southern cracker. That's all he is. And then come out and tell you and me that he's going to be better for us because since he's from the South, he knows how to deal with Southerners. What kind of logic is that? 
Let Eastland be president. He's from the South, too. He should be better able to deal with them than Johnson. In this present administration, they have in the House of Representatives 257 Democrats to only 177 Republicans. They control two-thirds of the House vote. Why can't they pass something that will help you and me? In the Senate, there are 67 senators who are of the Democratic Party. Only 33 of them are Republicans. Why the Democrats have got the government sewed up and you're the one sewed up for them? Who sewed it up for them, sorry. And what they have given you for it. Four years in office and just now getting around to some civil rights legislation. Just now, after everything else is gone, out of the way, they're going to sit down now and play with you all summer long. The same old giant con game that they call filibuster. All those are in cahoots together. Don't you ever think they're not in cahoots together? For the man that is heading the civil rights filibuster is a man from Georgia named Richard Russell. When Johnson became president, the first man he asked for when he got back to Washington, D.C. was Dickie. That's how tight they are. That's his boy. That's his pal. That's his buddy. But they're playing that old con game. One of them makes believe he's for you and he's got it fixed. Where the other one is so tight against you, he never has to keep his promise. So it's time in 1964 to wake up. And when you see them coming up with that type of conspiracy, let them know your eyes are open and you let them know you. Something else that wide open too. It's got to be the ballot or the bullet. The ballot or the bullet. If you're afraid to use an expression like that, you should get out, get on out of the country. You should get back in the cotton patch. You should get back in the alley. They, got, they get the all-Negro vote. And after they get that, the Negroes get nothing in return. And all they did when they went to, got to Washington was give a few big Negroes big jobs. Those big Negroes didn't need big jobs. They just already had jobs. That's a camouflage. That's trickery. That's treachery. That's window dressing. I'm not trying to knock out the Democrats for the Republicans. We'll get to them in a minute. But it is true. You put the Democrats first, and the Democrats put you last. What do you all think about that? And I'm saying this particularly to whoever is black or brown listening in. What do you all think about that? The gatekeeping is phenomenal in the, you know, in general, here's the thing. If we really wanted to see diversity at that level and equity and inclusivity, why hasn't Connecticut been the first state to say, we're going to reduce the amount you have to pledge in to run for office? But you should know why they wouldn't do that. And you should know why they wouldn't do that right now. It's the same reason you're not putting up money for anybody's campaign. See, because we would rather put our campaign funds into the white boy 
or the white woman or the white girl, however you want to say it, spin it. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just saying what I see and what I've experienced. And hey, if it's offensive, think about how I feel. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about how those who share my opinion feel when we don't even get a glimpse of access or opportunity? That even if we want to run for office and change things, we can't because we don't have the money to do it. And even if you had the money, you have to give up your job. Because let me tell you something, I don't know if you knew this, but running for office is a full-time job. It is. You don't just wake up and say, hey, um, hmm. let's see, um, you know, let's see what I'm doing today. Oh, yeah, let me check my calendar. I'm going to just go ahead and do this. That's not how oppression works. I keep telling you all, oppression is not linear, man. And I say that now to my folks listening in or whoever's listening in who is black or brown and all of what I'm saying might have just hit you the wrong way because you haven't walked in that walk. You haven't had that experience before you turn your back on your fellow black and brown brothers and sisters. Consider the fact what I just said. You have not had that experience. So before you tell us how we should or should not react, check yourself and remember your history. What Malcolm just said there is spot on. And you would think, or I think, from that speech, the black and brown community is saying, you know what we're going to do next, now that we've done all the civil rights movement, we're going to demand that we always have a table at the table. Shirley Chisholm told us, if you don't have a seat at the table, what do you do? Bring a folding chair. After all of that happened, you mean to tell me it was difficult to say, look, we must be truly represented as our true authentic selves, right? Look at other countries. In my little poor country that looks like a Timberland boot, when you're running for office, it's not as fiscally um, grounded. It's really about the people. Now, yeah, there's money involved in it. You got to pay for things. You got to run your campaign, of course. But to the degree it's done here, you see gatekeeping and gaslighting are two of the oppressor's favorite tool. Okay? Gatekeeping and gaslighting. Ego and agenda falls in there. You'll always find the four of them partying together. And when you do, you need to realize you just saw white supremacy in action. Real talk. All right? Whether you directly experience it or you heard about it, these are real life experience. Part of the reason why we have so many black and brown people who are so disconnected is because as an outcome of all these different movements and slavery and all the oppression, their parents, caregivers, and others made a decision to remove them from spaces that might continue that trauma, but not realizing you actually just introduced them to a different type of trauma. What the hell did I just mean by that? Think about the black and brown people in Nashville who live. Now, we're talking about who got killed in Nashville. Did you know that one of those who was lost was a black man? I say that because in, in these situations, we forget that the gun violence is so closely associated with us. Whether we live in the community or not, we are expected to just deal with it. That is the American with three K's way. Deal with it. And let me tell you something else. When they don't want something to happen, unlike us, 
They don't care if y'all are friends or not. They Listen, I'm going to give these people the credit, you know. Right? We've seen it happening right now with Donald Trump. It don't matter if they're all BFFs with him. Guess what they're not doing? They stick to code. They'll defend each other. And for the ones who are slacking off and not on, on target, they'll pull them aside and say, all right, all right. Look at what they did with Kanye. They know Kanye was going AWOL, but they didn't care because he fulfilled his purpose. You see? Pay attention. Know the chessboard. It's the same thing that happens to us on the job. When white people want to take you out, they will strategize against you, smile in your face, and carry on. It's true. Did I just offend you? That's just been the experience. And if you're offended, think about how I feel. Think about how we feel when we're on the job and we have the great ideas and all these other things, but they get dimmed down and dressed down. Or we're trying to move up and we can't because there's this gray cloud of, but you're black, you're brown, you're really only going to go so far. You know you're violent. You know you all, you know what I'm saying? And now going back to HB 667 where I started off, what was upsetting to me, but not surprising, was seeing other black and brown people oppose the bill, basically giving the white man his play field, talking about, I have the right to bear arms. The damn bill wasn't about that. That bill was actually aimed to prevent what happened in Nashville, just in case you, you didn't know. I could say the same for rent control and holding landlords accountable. You see, intersectionality in the movement is undeniable. It's going to be there. You can't talk about oppression and just talk about one thing. Again, oppression is not linear. All right? It's all related. The degree to which you see and experience that varies. Yes. But before you deny it or get offended by it, consider if that's how you feel, what about the person experiencing it? Now, in this same public hearing, mayors from different cities provided testimony, as did police officers, because, you know, in these public hearings, it's not just one bill being heard. Sometimes there is like one or two, but on this particular day, there were other bills being brought up to judiciary. What was interesting is the answer that <laughs> our people in the correction system, police, all that, their solution to the problem. I bet you don't know what it is. Come on, think about it. What would they suggest to, as they put it, control gun violence? What do you think they suggested? If you watched it, you, you should know. And if you don't know, I'll tell you in a few seconds. But I want you to think about it. Think about it. Here's this bill, HB 6667. It's an act concerning gun violence. And really the bill is about gun control. I, again, we could debate different things on it. The genesis of the damn bill was gun control, and it was geared at the folks who felt the need to have certain types of weaponry in their possession. Why do you think it's okay to have Glocks lying around in your house, and why do you need so many of them? Like, what, are you, what, what the hell, right? We have a gun violence. We have kids finding these things and, you know, inflicting harm on themselves. Like, this should not be a question. These are valid cases that have happened. Our babies are dying because of selfish, narcissistic ways, all right? It's bad enough that we're okay with people being homeless. We're fine with it, right? Now, just to go back to the gun control, you have the right to bear arms. You have the right to protect yourself. That's not what we're talking about. 
we're talking about this bill that's saying, okay, we need to pay attention to the types and the amount of guns that we have out there and let's streamline certain things like the background check. Because really, it's not that hard to get a gun if you have the money and if you have, you know, the time to just go take the damn test. The test is not that complex. The background check is not that intricate. I'm not saying you need blood types and all of that fun stuff. I'm saying that certain things could be better handled because it's not. It's very loose. I didn't say that you need to raise the fee on anything, so don't don't try to blame me if people decide to profit on guns. Believe it or not, they've been doing that this whole time. America invests a lot and makes a lot of money from its guns, from the military to the streets. Believe that and know that. America will quicker invest in that and prisons than it would in education, and it's happening right here, right now, in New Haven. On that day for the public hearing for HB 667, if you didn't guess it yet, the mayors and those who work in or are connected to correctional facilities and the police department, in their testimonies, their answers were, you know, their way of solving the gun violence. And this came up in another bill that was presented, actually. So there's different bills that are being presented. And there was another one that was up there regarding uh, prisons, right? And investing in building some more prisons. And also, no, sorry, it wasn't a prison one. It was one on the bail amounts. I'm so sorry. It was the bail, bail bond. Got it crossed over. Because that's another piece of nonsense that's happening. Why build schools when we could build prisons, right? But you'll have to pay attention. And this is why you all need to start showing up at these public hearings. And even if you didn't show up, write that written testimony. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look like it came out from the Encyclopedia Britannica. It just has to relate to what the bill is about and why it should or should not happen. Keep it simple. Keep it as, as you know, as powerful as you can. If that means telling your story, if that means referencing a story, if that means referencing data, you wanted a change, be part of the action. You don't want to go out there and protest, that's fine too. But contact your lawmakers. Let them know. Show up to these meetings, okay? Because if you had shown up to this public hearing and you heard what these mayors and people correct, uh, connected to the correctional and, and police departments were saying, it was disgusting to me. Their answer to all that's going on, uh, as one put it, it was a way to lessen, one of the mayors put it, one who is... <laughs> Not very famous right now, I'll just say that. Um, his solution was to increase the bail amount. So he's saying, all right, we want to lessen violence. Let's make sure the reoffenders, you know, don't have an easy time getting back into society. Let me tell you something. You could raise that bond amount, yes. But here's the thing. The gun violence is one thing. But what about them white-collar crimes, though, that's happening, that's kind of going under the radar? Again, I don't know if you knew this, but there's a lot of phone scams going on, particularly with the elderly and disabled, where people are pretending to be Microsoft and reaching out to folks and saying that, you know, there was a bug on their computer or sending them an email and directing them to call a phone number. And this is causing a lot of friction and confusion to the point that our elderly and disabled are becoming less trusting of technology. So if you're seeing that happening around you, you might want to talk to your elderly and disabled folks because you might find out that they're being harassed and, you know, scammed. And these are white-collar crimes, man, right? Now, in this public hearing, 
the comment was made regarding the gun violence, not the white collar crimes. It was more like, yeah, here's how we're going to solve gun violence. We're going to increase the bail bond amount so people can't get back out and, you know, shoot at people. Yay. That's not how you address that. That is not how you address that at all. And I want to add to that. Uh, this particular individual had very few words to say. He just kind of like gave the HB 6667 a high five, not what you would expect from someone of that status. What I would expect from someone of that status is to say, you know, we do have a gun control problem as legislators, including myself as a mayor, yourself as, you know, um, senators and state reps. We need to sit down and figure out how can we stop these things? How do we control these things? How do we restrict control? And part of that is the access piece, which includes getting license and the registration and tracking that data. But you know why he wouldn't want to do that? Did you figure it out yet? Because most of the people who opposed the bill in the first place, guess where their background or connections are? Take a guess. What fields you think they are? You think they're like uh, people working at McDonald's? You think these are folks who, you know, I don't know, do landscaping? No, maybe a couple. The majority are affiliated directly or indirectly with some sort of military or militant type org, either police department, corrections. See what I'm saying? Think about it. Look at the whole picture. Don't just look at that one piece. So of course they're going to oppose it. Of course they're going to make it about their rights because they're the ones who own the majority of the guns that were being questioned and brought up in the bill. But why would we focus on them when inherently black and brown people are blamed for gun violence, whether or not they live in highly violent, highly gun violent, however I'm supposed to say that, communities. You see what I'm saying? So you don't have to live in that community where the alleged gun violence is so big, right? Now, mind you, I'm not saying, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there are not situations where there's stray bullets. Um, none of this is good. None of it. None of it. One gun violence situation is not better than the other. I'm just saying in terms of the ownership of, right, the numbers are bigger in these suburbs where, you know, we have white people who have this fear of an invasion. So they get all these guns. They're ready to go to war because in their brain, they think if the world's about to end, all the black and brown people are going to storm to their house. First of all, I don't know if you saw the price of gas. I'm not running all the way up to your Wallingford or wherever you're at, Guilford, wherever you're at, Orange, wherever you're at. I'm not doing all of that. That's too much. I'm going to be too busy trying to figure out how I'm going to survive. See, but what we as black and brown people need to realize, that's, that's it right there. We're so busy surviving, we're not seeing what they're still doing. And even though we see it, we, we're not fully equipped whether we educated ourselves or re-educated ourselves or whatever we needed to do to really deal with it because we're not dealing with it, right? We somehow feel that we need their cosign to correct things that they've done to us. We really don't. What we need to do is reassess our place and, you know, power and recognize that unfortunately a majority of us have had to live this oppressive lifestyle. That was not done by mistake, my friend. That was done by design. Let me read you something else. 
All right. I want to give you some stuff to think about. Now, I'm going to share this with you. Uh, this here, let me see if it has a, yes, let's see here. Now, it benchmarks off of something said by, again, Malcolm X. The future belongs to those who prepare for it today. Okay? It was inspired by that statement. And it is masked racism. Reflections on the prison industrial complex by Angela Davis. Bear with me while I read some excerpts from this. I just want you to think, consider what I just said. Again, if I'm rubbing you wrong and you're like, well, what is she talking about? If that's how you feel, take a second and consider how we feel. We have to live like this. We have to live with things like being judged by our dress and our hairstyle and all these different things. We've had to have been told how we should show up to an interview only to get hired and see that there's a couple of white people who apparently the dress code or whatever doesn't apply to them. This is real life, okay? So I'm talking from that life. I'm a black, broke immigrant. Um, I cuss and I say things that might rub you bad. And if, if, if it has, well, hey, this has been my life, right? And I'm not the only one, by the way. Hey. So again, back to mass ra racism, reflections on the prison industrial complex. This is coming off of what I was just talking about with HB 667. We spoke about the ballot and the bullet. And I'm saying to you, with all of that in consideration, we as black and brown people, we've done all of this so far. We just need to remind ourselves and we need to remember our history is not their weapon. So let's hear what Angela had to say. Imprisonment has become the response of first resort to far too many of the social problems that burden people who are encounced in poverty. These problems are also veiled by being conveniently grouped together under the category of crime by the automatic attribution of criminal behavior to people of color. I'm going to pause right there. If you want to look up this speech, again, it's Mass Racism, Reflections on the Prison Industrial Complex by Angela Davis. I just read off an excerpt from The Ballot or the Bullet by Malcolm X. I'm going to pause right here for anybody who did not know. I'm going to say it again, and I'll keep saying it. Oppression is not linear, okay? When you're talking about oppression, there's not really a way just to stick to one thing. Now, I say that to say, if you have an organization or you're doing something that you want to specialize in, that's a different thing. But when you're talking about it, you may have to bring up other things. Let's go back to what our sister Angela Davis was saying here. Homelessness, unemployment, drug addiction, mental illness, and illiteracy are only a few of the problems that disappear from public view when human beings contending with them are relegated to cages. Prisons thus perform a feat of magic, or rather the people who continually vote in a new prison bonds and tactically assent to a proliferating network of prisons and jails have been tricked into believing in the magic of imprisonment. But prisons do not disappear problems. They disappear human beings. And the practice of disappearing vast numbers of people from poor immigrant and racially marginalized communities has literally become big business. The seemingly effortless 
effortlessness of magic always conceals an enormous amount of behind-the-scenes work. When prisons disappear human beings in order to convey the illusion of solving social problems, penal infrastructures must be created to accommodate a rapidly swelling population of caged people. Goods and services must be provided to keep imprisoned populations alive. Sometimes these populations must be kept busy and other times, particularly in repressive super-maximum prisons and in INS detention centers, they must be deprived of virtually all meaningful activity. Vast numbers of handcuffed and shackled people are moved across state borders as they are transferred from state, from one state or federal prison to another. Okay. Now I'm going to stop there for a second. Take that in. You good? Listen to this part. The color of imprisonment. Now I'm not reading the whole thing, so don't come for me and say, oh, you didn't read. No, I didn't say I was going to do all that, right? I didn't say that. I just want to give you enough. And it's up to you what you do with it after that. Almost 2 million people are currently locked up in the immense network of U.S. prisons and jails. More than 70% of the imprisoned population are people of color. It is rarely acknowledged that the fastest growing group of prisoners are black women and that Native American prisoners are the largest group per capita. Approximately 5 million people, including those on probation and parole, are directly under surveillance, surveillance sorry, of the criminal justice system. She goes on to talk about profiting from prisoners. As prisons proliferate in the U.S. society, private capital has become a mensch in punishment in the punishment industry. Whoopsies. And precisely because of their profit potentials, prisons are becoming increasingly important to the U.S. economy. If the notion of punishment as a source of potentially stupendous profits is disturbed by itself, then the strategic dependence on racist structures and ideologies to render mass punishment palatable and profitable is even more troubling. So then again, let's go back. I'm going to stop right there. Remember what I was just saying, right? That we had the public hearing. It just went. You could still go look at it for HB 6667. And of all things that a certain or certain people could say, certain mayors and members of the Department of Corrections and all these other militant type structures, their best solution to the gun violence was what? Increase the bail bond amount. Not let's get a rent control. No. See, let me tell you something about Connecticut. Why would we solve it when we could study it? That's the new trend here. See? That's the revised racism. That's the reason why some people have a hard time believing or acknowledging outwardly is what I should say. We do need to pay for there to be community health workers. Nonprofits should not have to eat that. The government should have a grant for that. And it shouldn't be a middleman. It should be awarded to the agency that needs them directly. Apply, you get it. Done deal. Finish it. Stop lessening the money as it goes through. That's what's happening. It's a whole complex, right? We have these grants coming in and there's certain things that are happening. It's not reaching all the agencies that need it. And particularly the black and brown smaller ones. This is, this is craziness. 
So you add to that the fact that we have people in leadership roles that are saying, let's let's just, you know, increase the bond amounts instead of looking at things like why we need rent control, why we need to hold landlords accountable, why we need funding for community health workers, okay? Why we need to increase, you know, income levels so people could get health care, man. Sort this stuff out. Why we need the state agencies. If you, so Why aren't the state agencies working to co- the, together? You ask us to present all this data, and then you criticize us for not having what we don't have. For us being housing insecure, job insecure, income insecure, for just being insecure, period. You're always doing it. You gave us the problem, and then we have to deal with it. And then when we don't deal with it in a way that you profit, it's our fault now. And that's what happens over time and time again. That's why we have a prison industry complex. That's why we have nonprofits that are mostly managed and represented and everything else by white people and not us. That's why even after Malcolm X spoke about the ballot and the bullet and Angela Davis broke down the prison industry complex, we still have prisons being built everywhere. And despite the fact that we have voting access, nobody wants us to be in these places. So what we're going to do is we're going to somehow master racism. Oh, here's a brilliant idea. We're going to be we're going to make sure that we keep the amount that you need to run for office high enough right? We're going to gatekeep and gaslight, and we're going to base it on ego and agenda. Oh, there's homelessness. Oh, we don't need to do anything about that. It doesn't matter that in reality, what we call homelessness and what we recognize as homelessness may not be the same. What did I just mean? Instead of talking about increasing the bail amounts, let's let's recognize the fact in 2023, after a worldwide health pandemic, which came along with a lot of job loss and housing insecurity. There's a lot of people living couch to couch, in their cars, house to house, friend to friend, family to family, in a bathroom, in a subway. Those are all hotels. That's homelessness. That's not housing security. And it's not just one group of people. And there's also something called long-term homelessness, where we have had people who decidedly lived on the street due to their circumstance mentally or substance-related. We didn't address that either, right? Right? Because we're not really dealing with the problem. We just do enough. We just do enough to say enough. And as black and brown people, we need to realize our power and our history. And we need to stop letting it be used as a weapon against us. That's the greatest weapon they have against us is our history. Partially because we don't even acknowledge it. And for some of us, we don't even know it. And what happens is when we're all in the same space, we start to judge each other because of varying levels of experience, awareness, and knowledge. Right? And don't you dare think that wasn't done by design. Of course it was. It's being done right now. It's the whole reason why all those people opposed that bill. It's the same reason why they'll give opposition to anything related to the empowerment of our people. Why do we have to tell you that it's not a good idea to have police officers in schools? Why? Why? Why was that rocket science? Why are we having to tell you that, you know, 
when someone reaches a certain point of reentry, we have to handle things differently. If we're talking about moving forward, diversity, equity, and inclusivity, why aren't we seeing the connection between reentry and homelessness and job insecurity? How come we're not noticing that, you know, we have job insecurity happening in different ways? We have all these qualified people that can't find jobs, right? Or we have places that are securing their people because guess what? I don't know if you knew this or if you missed it. This inflation thing is not an overnight thing. It goes on for a while, right? The suffering. And that's why there should not have been a debate about why we need rent control. It shouldn't have been. But why would they want to support something that sets them back? Because guess what? By supporting rent control, it meant that some people would have to eat that loss, even though they have the money. They don't care. Why should I suffer when you can? And you'll continue to suffer because you don't even know what you're suffering from. We need to have these conversations with each other. Some of this might be hard for some of us. Some of us might need to really sit down and dial it back and realize, whoa, you know what? I really have been disengaged either because I don't live in the community where it happens. I didn't grow up in that community. I've never had this type of experience or I've been mostly exposed to certain ideals. You know, did you not notice how whitewashed the Black Lives Matter movement became? I told you, Malcolm warned us about the white liberals. And right now, you should hear him talking out loud, him, Martin, Fanny, all of them. They're telling us, don't forget your history. Don't let them use it as a weapon. Don't fall into their foolishness, ego, agenda, gatekeeping, gaslighting, pay attention. Why would you go oppose a bill like HB 667? How do you feel if you opposed it as a black or brown person? I wonder how you feel about Nashville. Do you feel happy now? You sat there and look like a complete idiot talking about my right to bear arms when the bill had nothing to do with that. It's a gun control bill. That's two different things. I can't tell you not to go buy a gun. You want to do it? Go ahead. That's your business. But I also have the right to say, all right, enough is enough now. I have that right. And I don't understand what type of world you're trying to live in. Don't you, do you not see what's happening in all these countries where there's continued war? Is that what you want? Is that why you feel like you needed to testify and oppose the bill because you were worried that if they're a big war? Because that's foolish. It's foolish. And whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you just aided and abetted the oppression. And miss me with the foolishness about protecting yourself. Seriously. All right? Listen. Huey Newton, Angela Davis, the whole nine. Big-time mentors. Asada Shakur. And I know that they, you know, they carried their guns and they protected themselves. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm being very specific because you all need to differentiate the two and realize that sometimes you might be defending the supremacy, whether you see it or not. And if someone is showing you that, you might want to take a step back and say, you know what, maybe I really didn't have that type of experience. Maybe I, maybe I perhaps I, I, I never had that type of exposure, so I don't get it. Maybe I need to rethink and maybe I need to see that 
I might have been misinformed there. The same thing happened with, um, since we're in the space, I might as well bring it up. I told you oppression is not linear, but the same mentality came through and is coming through to Roe v. Wade. Listen, I'm not saying everybody should have an abortion. I'm saying it's an option. Before you decide that's what, you know, against our religion and all this other foolishness, understand the narrative, know the difference and realize that your words might actually give the white supremacist more power if you do not share them in the right space or in the right way. It does. When you sit there and you allow the white liberal to come into your movement and one by one, piece by piece, remove the black and brown segments of your own movement, guess what you just did? You just set us back, not forward, right? I didn't say not to work with white people. I just said previously, I have a lot of white comrades who are great friends, great advisors. We help each other out in different ways, right? That's not who I'm talking about. But if that just offended you, then maybe you might want to, you know, have like a little reflection going on, okay? Because I'm looking at progress. I want to see the day when black and brown women could get promoted upwards in a company and not have to worry about how, you know, how they dress or what they eat or how they wear their hair or what size they are or how dark they are or how much they socialize is used against them, but rather their qualifications that they worked hard for. I want to see the day where a single mother doesn't have to use up her PTO because she has to attend meetings for her children or make it to doctor's visits. I want to see that. I'd love to see that. I want to see us stop living in fear. I want to see us being able to be comfortable and confident when we go to job interviews and know that we have a shot too and not feel like they just checked off the box. I want us all to have job security. And I'm referencing my fellow black and brown people because we don't, because some of us have to make some strategic decisions not to identify with ourselves in order to move up. Take that how you want to. Or some of us may not have had those experiences and we, we don't understand, well, why she always mad? Why he always like that? Why he just act like he don't give a fuck? Before you tell someone how to be, Try on their shoes. You might be able to, but don't criticize their feet. Before you decide, oh, she talking about all this stuff, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't see it as that bad. Check yourself. You don't. There's a lot of us out here right now who are struggling. A lot of us are trying to figure out our next move. A lot of us are trying to find a way to get money, a way to, to support ourselves. A lot of us are having to make life decisions, you know, that some of them are pretty hard. Like I said, look at what homelessness really, really is, you know. So when you talk about opposing a bill like HB 6667 because a bunch of white Republicans said they need to have an arsenal in their basement, think about why they're saying that. What's their affiliation? What's their motive? I want you to think about that. Stop letting them use our history as a weapon. Stop it. Stop. Please stop. And if you if you feel like that was a lot, then, hey, I don't know what to tell you. I can only say to you, now is the time when we need to get up and stand up. Personally, I'm focused on that, on ours. Because you know why? 
We don't focus on ours enough, and that's why they know how to attack us. And we need to show them we're not taking it no more. That's all for now. Check us out on Facebook. So after you marinate and all of that, take it in. Take it all in. Some of this may be new. Some of it may be, unfortunately, not new. You might be frustrated. You might be confused. You might be whatever you are. But recognize all of this happened and is happening right here, right now. Now, I'm not telling you not to vote for the Democrats. I'm not trying to campaign for nobody campaign. That's not what this is. Instead, I'm challenging you to hold our lawmakers accountable. We put them there for a reason. We voted them in. And if we're disappointed by their performance, we have to hold ourselves accountable too. Because when we do not bring notice to these things and demand that they step in, why would they? If it doesn't seem important to us, why would it matter or seem significant to them? How many attempted government overthrow movies do you need to see to see how these places work? I mean, I'm just saying they have their own agendas and it's for us to make sure we're always on it. And how we do that is collectively recognize, man, we have a problem. And I know for some of us, this might be disputable, but we have a gun control problem in Connecticut, even though we have some okay gun laws. That doesn't mean that we can't have another Sandy Hook. Again, again, look it up if you want to challenge it. But the majority of gun sales that went up during COVID, imagine everybody else running around looking for Vienna sausages and eggs and toilet paper. And the majority of white people were trying to figure out where to get guns from. Now, how come nobody ever said, hmm, we're talking about gun violence in America. Let me pull some data and let me look at gun sales. How did these people get these guns? What was the process? You know what I'm saying? Why didn't anybody say during quarantine? All right. You know, we know that we're in quarantine and we know that people are anxious and other things and they're looking to protect themselves. But let's make sure we do the best thing and think forward and ensure that whoever is taking these tests and selling these guns, you know, let's let's streamline our processes and ensure that we don't have people who are mentally and medically unfit criminal backgrounds. Why are they still getting these guns? And I don't know if you knew this either, but the ones that end up unregistered came from somewhere. Okay? Yeah, you can make a gun from scratch, but it's not going to have the same power, obviously. Right? I could sit here and get the best Legos I have and try to make some. Of course, that's not what you would really use. But a homemade gun isn't nearly as impactful or durable or other things. So I'm saying that to say the guns that we see that show up when media conveniently shows us the gun buyback program... Don't think that these kids or whoever else who had them in the hood just went outside and picked it from a tree. That's not how that goes. Follow the money. Follow the money. From the ballot to the streets, follow the money. Stop letting them use our history as a weapon. That's our tool. That's our tool. We need to own our history more. We need to not be okay with the fact that we have to learn their history, their ways, their culture. We're comfortable. Let me tell you something. We'll quicker be comfortable with a group of white people than we would with our own. You know why? 
because in our when we are in mass and there's a number of us the static starts see because the mixing in of the different life experiences becomes a little tense in the room some of us may not have had to deal with hearing sirens at night or stomping neighbors or you know you're hearing you're hearing the fighting in the streets some of us don't get off of buses and use public transportation and then we look down when we get downtown and see needles everywhere but then they turn on the tv they talk about rehab this and putting a center on wheelie and all this sort of foolishness you see some of us watch the news while some of us experience it and for that reason i keep saying and i'm gonna say it again i'm gonna drop words and things and say things that will offend some of us some of you rather right but understand the same way you're mad about that what do you think i'm mad about and don't think that we don't feel it we're tired we're tired we're tired we just came out of covid now we're dealing with the whole fact that people rather put police in schools and rather looking at the school curriculum and deciding that we need to really reinforce the black and latinx studies and be honest about it and that we need to hire train recruit black and brown teachers promote them give black and brown people real careers that is what diversity equity and inclusivity looks like that shouldn't be studied what should be studied is what the hell took you so long and why the hell aren't people seeing this that should be studied but you don't have to really study that because in order to have real diversity, equity and inclusivity, somebody loses privilege. It's like a seesaw. The balance. You see what I mean? Or if you don't, think about it. Right? We have black and brown people in our own communities who are supporting gun ownership and <clears throat> pardon me, defending that not realizing that's not what that bill was about and here comes nashville and here we are and again the media diversion right back to our own gun violence and we let them do it when white people get offended it's okay when we get offended it's a problem when they cry they get tissues and all the support and empathy when we cry we just have to cry by ourselves and that's the thing. For all who like to judge the hood, there's so many of us walking around the lives we've led, man. You can't even begin to imagine. And you don't realize, like, this gun control matter. You know, there are people living in these communities who are tired of the gun violence. All these different shootings, some of them so stupid and senseless and unnecessary. None of it is necessary. None of it. Did it solve anything? Do you feel like Al Capone now? Do you feel powerful now? Because it's all a wash. It's foolish. You should be more proud to walk around with your accomplishments in your pocket, your certificates from, you know, wherever you went to school and whatever you accomplished. More proud of that than to own a gun. You should be more proud of your business that's thriving and your career that's going up. More proud of that than a gun. Black and brown women should have more rights, access, and opportunities, respect, and privilege than a gun. Immigrants who come here fleeing from the violence 
right? Did you know that the border, some folks got so fed up of being in those detention camps. Did you see that? What happened down there? <laughs> My stomach was in pain these last couple of days. They set fire to the place. These people are tired of being encompassed by violence upon violence. You fled violence only to come to America and encounter it. What the hell? What the hell? We have young girls coming out of these camps pregnant. How the hell did that happen? Or young boys being molested. What? The f what? What? Or women showing up pregnant. Or men all of a sudden dying. Gang of Like what is going on in these complexes? In these what is going on? And who's really being held accountable? But then to answer that, you'll have to look at who's making money. What did Angela Davis say? You build these prisons and these detention centers. It's a way to make people disappear. So when you're sitting there critiquing all of those who are trying to stop solitary confinement, you should ask yourself, why am I not joining their fight? Why am I not up there saying, yes, stop the torture. Enough is enough. Why don't I realize that for it to change, I need to be involved. And you know what? I might not like to do the protesting piece, but I might not like to be on TV. Let me write that written testimony. Let me, instead of complaining about it to my neighbors and my family, let me make that move and find out how I could make a change. Okay? We could do it, but we have to want to do it. And for those of us who do not necessarily relate to the oppression, right, you know why you're having trouble relating to it? Because part of it is you're not acknowledging your privilege. And you tell yourself, all I need to do is study it and it will all go away. And then you get to a point where you, you face your privilege and it's scary. And you feel embarrassed. And you feel like, well, my God, I have all this privilege. You know, what can I really do? But then you don't realize you're spinning, spinning, spinning. <laughs> it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. I've sat on panels, I've been part of groups, I've been part of conversations, I've met some, I've worked with some, all kinds, I could talk for days on black and brown folks who have privilege and how they use that within the movement, or even if they realize it, or even if they realize they could take that same privilege and move us on up. You don't need the white man's help. You don't need their approval. You don't need them to co-sign you. You just need to know you have power. And you could grab our hands who don't, who have it deprived, and say, come on, let's fight together. I might not have walked your walk. I might not have been in your journey, in your shoes, but guess what? We both fight in this racism, just to different degrees. See, that's the thing. Just because as a black or brown person, you have privilege, it doesn't mean your oppression went away. It just means it's different. That's what we all need to realize that, man. It didn't change. They didn't change it, you know. They just found different ways to control the slaves. They said, okay, we'll build up prisons and then we'll put as many guns out there and guess who's going to be the problem? Check mark. We see the housing crises. We see the wait list for the Section 8 going longer and longer and longer. Oh, we'll just go study it. Listen, I know that it's disheartening because, you know, the public hearing process, it is disheartening. There's a lot of ebbs and flows. You know, out here in Connecticut, it's not easy. And that it's not just here either. Other states are facing the same thing right now in their legislative processes. Like 
as their hearings are going on, you know, some things are going through, some things are not. But the, at the end of the day, you have to look at why the opposition, the ebb and flow is happening. They don't want anybody else but themselves in power. Who's the they I'm talking about? Trump and his posse. If a black man had done, should I finish that sentence? If a <laughs> immigrant had done, should I finish that sentence? Do you see it? If you don't, wipe your eye. Because that's all we see. That's all we see. And our stories need to be told. And some of it is real nasty and painful and upsetting, but it is what it is. And right now we have a lot of people suffering. There's a lot of homeless black and brown people who will never get the help they need because their voices weren't amplified. Okay? There's black and brown people who are going to be targeted as being gun owners because we focus more on black and brown people being violent than the real, real problem. Real problem. A black man died black man died he was killed yeah in nashville others died two young children babies 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 why you think we need the guns so we'll have democracy and if that's what you think on whose terms on whose terms who you think won't lead that and if you doubt anything i just said i invite you once again Go to cga.ct.gov. You look for the Judiciary Committee. Then you look for the Public Agenda. And then you look for HB 6667. And right there, you'll see the YouTube link. Or just go up on YouTube and put in the search HB 6667 2023. See what comes up. Pay attention to who's opposing the bill and why. And then come back and tell me why we shouldn't be mad why it's not all connected. Tell me why we should only see one thing at a time. Tell me why. Tell me why. Explain to me and the others who do not have privilege why we should not feel, why we should not want it whitewashed, why we should not want to amplify our own voices and our own people and demand the respect, man. 2023, we should have had a black or brown full-figured president, at the very least, vice president already. 2023. That shouldn't be a problem. Or perhaps even a governor. And this is not exclusive to Connecticut either. It's everywhere. But right here in Connecticut, we talk about being progressive. How progressive are you? Did what I just say hurt or did it make you think? Am I going to be gaslit and gatekept for <laughs> my freedom of speech? Do I even have that? I'm asking because a gun has more rights than me. But then again, who am I but a black, broke immigrant? That's all for now. I hope something, at least one thing resonated. And if you have any thoughts or anything you'd like to discuss, or if you're a fellow black or brown person, you'd like to come on and chat about something, reach out. Look us up on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or email. That's all I have for now. Wherever you're at, wherever you're amongst, I hope you're grateful, I hope it's positive, and I hope you feel empowered. And if you don't know, or if nobody told you, you're amazing. Fist up, smile on. 
CJ.